Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm, you say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. Hello, friends. It's uh, it's script shop time. This is your this is your old buddy Jack here with you, and your other friendly host Allison. And uh, this is our podcast where we talk uh, to writers about the scripts that they've written and why they wrote them, and why they're the only person in the whole world that this story could have come out of them from, and what mm-hmm. it means, like why it happened, why did they write this, what was their life like when they did it, how did they feel about their mothers, everything <laughs> that we could possibly ask them about writing, of course. Can I tell you how much? Can I? I, I got to throw this out there okay. because I'm. This is not the first time when I've worn like comfy clothing yeah, to a taping that suit we've we've certainly shared a picture before of me in my gray velour jogging suit of which I am wearing the pants from right now but different shoes different shoes and you know. a, a Guinness Jack got t-shirt. a promotion so he's dressing up now and uh I'm just very a happy Guinness to be t-shirt. I'm just very happy to be comfortable and one I one of the things that I love so much about working in like an audio field is that you there's such an opportunity to get away with wearing comfortable clothing yeah like and and so it made me think about how uh, in the movie uh, Into the Spider-Verse, okay. which is a fantastic, wonderful yes. superhero movie. I actually have not seen the end of that. It's amazing. We but, just start watching it too late and I always fall asleep. Right. Sorry. The special features that come on the DVD that I was with my friend Greg in South Carolina and we were watching it. There's a whole special features about the cast and the voice actors and how, you know, they here's and they've got. And so, you know, the, the, the making of and the special features, they've got everybody like wearing nice clothing and they're made up and they're talking about, oh, yeah, I was playing this. And, I, and then they're cutting to them <laughs> wearing the same nice clothing and makeup and every and i think even like a lapel mic oh my gosh and but but with like a music stand sort of off to the side in front of them and a microphone that's for sure not plugged into anything and them just sort of reciting a line the way that they read it in the version that actually made so it into the movie they're recreating some stuff and it, it it they're for sure not it's they're they're making it it's very strongly implied that here's footage of them actually recording this line that you love so much from the movie and they're for sure not doing that yeah it's it's all a complete You're recreation like that does not because no. none of the people in any of those shots are wearing hoodies, and it, it, how dare you try? It, it made me so angry. Yeah, I, I, it just made me crazy because there's no way that anyone's showing up to a thing like that, nope. f- fully made up and no. wearing nice clothing. No, because that's the best part about doing audio stuff is that you don't have to. You, well, it makes no difference at that point. Yeah, unless it makes you feel good on the inside and your performance is better because of it. But not me. I'm telling you what, yeah. I'd rather be comfy and sleep in more. Right? Yeah. Every time I would. Every time. Mm. Uh, if you enjoy being comfy and sleeping in more and you have written a script about it, you can send us that mm. script by uh, going on to scriptshopshow.com slash submit. And please send us your work. We want to read it. You can also check out our website where we have information on all the incredible writers we've had on the show. Yeah. We've got uh, links to their screenplays that you can read and all kinds of contact info. So when you find that great script, you can send it to your producer and say, we've got to make a movie. <laughs> we've got like 90 plus scripts yeah. up at this point. Yes, that's very cool. Very happy about it's that. All the incredible different Different stories we get are just mind-blowing. So check that out at scriptshopshow.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where a lot of times we link up to the artists. Mm-hmm. Um, we share s- snippets of their screenplays. We do silly videos when it's time to release them. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, Baby Olive is involved. So yeah. if you like seeing toddlers, <laughs> Script Shop is the way to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if you like seeing a, a nervous, insecure 38-something redhead <laughs> try to compete with a toddler by coming up with a video of his own, yeah, Script Shop shows That's the way to go as well. That's funny, too, that it's like this weird competition between a baby and a grown. Man. Yeah, and she's winning and doesn't even know she that we're in, know. in a competition. No. It's crushing. It's so funny. Uh, she doesn't know we're in a competition. She doesn't know. She's beating the crap out of me. Uh, even if she did, she would probably do better because she's just fresh. Uh-huh. Thanks. We're old. Great. So not only am I, not only is she better without trying, <laughs> if she was trying it, she'd be better too. Uh-huh. Uh, you can also, uh, if you are interested in perhaps supporting the show in a, in a financial sense, we are on Patreon, Patreon. and we would love your support. Uh, script Shop Show. Patreon. This is the theme song for the, when we hit you up for money. Mm-hmm. Patreon. Patreon. <laughs> this is very mood music. 
Uh, go on to Patreon.com and search Script Shop Show. And if you're interested in supporting the show, uh, we would be we would love that. That's fantastic. And thank you very much in advance. I was going for epic and inspirational. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Our guest for this week, who has been waiting and listening to us doing this, which God love him for it. That's what we get paid for. Tolerating us uh, is Paul Corcelli, who wrote a script called Inked in Blood. Inked in Blood. It's a fun romp. It's it's a 21 page quirky, gritty revenge short full of impulse and history. Yeah. And we cannot wait to talk to him about this great story. This is one of those scripts that like grabs you by the lapels and just like, I've said lapel twice on this show, by the way, you're Mm -hmm. welcome. Just grabs onto you and just like looks at you really intensely and like you can't look away from this face that's right in your face. Mm, It's pretty good. It's one of those things that you're like, oh, I'm glad I'm reading this. Yeah, right. This is cool. Let's let's call, let's get Paul on so he can respond to all this heaps of praise that Mm. we're we're throwing his way. (laughs) Paul, hi, how are you? Hi, I'm good. I'm great. Thanks. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Where are you calling us from, Paul? Uh, you know, I'm actually, uh, right now I'm in Salem, Massachusetts. Um, I, I, yeah, I live in Los Angeles. I work in the film industry and I'm actually out here shooting a movie for the next two months. Does it have to do with witches? It does. Oh. <laughs> I bet Maybe. you can't say. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to yeah, say. I, I bet can't. you can't say too much more <laughs> past I that. I really can't, no. <laughs> um, well, that's exciting, though. Were you on set today? Uh, no, we start shooting in about a week and a half. Okay. Cool. And did you, is this a, a movie that you wrote this script? No. This, no, I did not write this. Um, have you lived in L.A. your whole life? No, I've been in L.A. for about 30 years, 31 years. Uh, I was born in Maryland. Um, I've kind of lived all over. I've lived in uh, Maryland, Florida, Texas. Uh, went to high school in Chicago. And I was a musician, and I moved to L.A. with a band wow. in the late 80s. What? Tell us more about this band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What kind of band? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it was kind of a heavy metal band that we formed in Chicago and we wanted to go to LA and become famous. And, um, so we packed up all of our stuff and we moved out to LA and, um, we did really well. We came close to getting the, having the dream come true, but Mm -hmm. things kind of fell apart and, and I was really tired of being poor Mm -hmm. and, (laughs) and I had an opportunity to get a job in, the film industry and so i took it um what was the name of this band i just want to look it up online. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was the when we moved from chicago to la it was called wired mm-hmm. yeah. and then when we got to la we changed it to big house big house big house yeah cool. yeah it was more hard rock. I, I don't want to say heavy metal. It was more hard rock. That's awesome. We've, we, you know, we've yeah. had a few people on the show that uh, you know, maybe packed up and moved out to L.A. specifically to work in, uh, in the film industry as a writer or in some kind of capacity. But yeah, Paul, you're our first that started off as a musician that brought them out to the West Coast. Yeah, I, um, I kind of was doing the art school thing, and then I, I wanted to focus just on the music and... I did a lot of writing um, just by myself because I went to art school and one at one time I thought I wanted to be a comic book artist and yeah. I would write my own stories and illustrate them and, and I never showed it to anybody. And, uh, and I wrote a lot of songs while I was in the band, but I at that point I wasn't confident enough in my writing, so I never really showed them to anybody. Mm-hmm. Mm, what did you play in the band? Uh Drums. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Do you have a lot of hair? I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you did. <laughs> I, did. <laughs> I heard <Yes>. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was it? Was it? Speaking as somebody who's never really like packed up and moved a, a, a significant distance from what I know all that much. Was it? Was it easier for you to do this whole? Yeah, let's go to the West Coast and really take a shot at it because you had traveled so much as you were growing up. Yeah, I think so. It wasn't a big deal for me to pick up, pack up my life and just go somewhere else. It, it, it didn't feel like a big deal for me. I think probably the rest of the band, because I, I kind of was at that point in my life, I was like, I'm going to L.A. Yeah. 
it'd be great if we go in as a band because we I thought we really had something, but I'm going regardless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, to my kind of to my surprise, everybody jumped on board, and we all packed up our lives and moved. That's so cool, man. That's like the story of a lifetime. Yeah, you're all like what twenty something and just going across the country to, to to find fame and fortune. That's awesome. Exactly. <laughs> what did you think moving out to L.A.? Like, what was the scene like for you? You said being a musician was fun, but you didn't like being poor. Yeah, I I loved the scene and I loved the the world of the, the music scene um, and and being out and playing for people. Um, that part I loved. It was tough in L.A. because you had to sell your own tickets back then. Mm. And, um, but we kind of went through the the typical band thing. We had some management, um, and it was great at first, but then it all fell apart. Oh, wow. And we decided it got so bad that we basically broke up the band to get out of the contract, and mm. then we reformed, and... Um, you know, we were recording in the studio and we had some, some major ego problems in the band fighting with a producer that we were working with. And, um, it's just, uh, this just kind of all fell apart in the studio. And that's when I said, I, I can't start over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so. and you, what was your first job getting, you said you had an opportunity to jump into the film industry and what was that opportunity? Um, I was actually working. Uh, I do um, wardrobe mm-hmm. for movies, and and, um, and I got a job at a costume house in L.A. because there's like massive costume houses in L.A. Um, obviously um, because of the film industry, and I got a job there. And um, you know, I was making better money, and eventually, I said, you know what, I want to make good money. So I decided to go out and actually do shows and work on set. Um, and, you know, money's better. You work a lot of hours. But um, my first, uh, I'd say my first re- my first real big show and probably the most influential in my life was Deadwood. Mm-hmm. Wow, doing costume stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, that, that, was, that had the biggest impact on my life because on that show is where I actually was inspired to write screenplays. You Really? Yeah. Um, working getting to work every day and, and watch and hear David Milch work mm-hmm. was, um, I can't even, it was like going to school every day. It was mm. like film writing school. Mm. And he would just listening to him talk to the actors and, and just how well he knew his characters and, and, uh, just, he's, he's an amazing guy. And I just, just being on that show, I was like, this is what I have to do. Wow. Mm. Paul, I gotta and say, you're you're really a Renaissance man here between doing the art school thing and doing the comic <laughs> books, and then getting into music, and then okay, yeah, I can right. do costuming too, and then you know, right. building a career on that on some it, major work. It's That's, totally cracking me up that like they were like you're like oh I just had an opportunity to work in costuming, so I just did. That's awesome. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just fell into it. Like it was just like a lucky, like a friend of a girlfriend was like, oh, we're looking for they're looking for help here. And I went and applied and I just like, Hey, it's a job. I never planned on Mm -hmm. getting into it. And, uh, and I kind of never, I don't know why it just writing screenplays never really was a thought for me. I used to write like poetry and, and the comic books and stuff, but I never really thought about screenplays until I got in the business and I was reading tons of them. Right. Do you think specifically you were talking about on on Deadwood how that was so inspirational just watching the way he worked and do you think that the stories really gripped you or that it was really the work style that started shaping you there? I think it was everything. I think I'd never seen um I'd never seen another writer like David Milch and the way he worked with the actors and and how like he you could tell he felt every character that he talked about mm-hmm. and um that kind of is what inspired me mm. do you feel like you write that way now kind of getting into each character yeah i feel like um i i'm kind of glad you said the word quirky when you talked about the screenplay because mm-hmm. it's one of my favorite words and i i don't feel like i write normal stories like i i've tried to write some just kind of like 
detective things or something kind of straight. And I, it's, it's really hard for me. So I am drawn to things with kind of unique characters and, um, just different people like that I can really get into and, and kind of try to become as I'm writing. Right. I really think that details really make characters come to life. And it's so awesome to see the details that people put into their stories. I was telling Jack, the fact that there's a little bit about the sparkly snow globe water <laughs> yeah, coming right. out near the end. I was like, Ooh, that's like, that's a good detail. Yeah. That's like a, it's, it's a bright thing in the middle of things that are not so bright in that moment, you know? Yeah. One yeah, of... I'm, I'm really drawn to those kind of details too. I think maybe it's my art background and, and I did, I studied photography a lot. Mm-hmm. So I think I write. Oh, you don't visual. say. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the things that I jotted down, Paul, and, and this is along the lines of what Allison said too, it was just how many like really specific things are in this script. The car that the main mm-hmm. character is driving, the personalities on some of these weirdos that he's encountering as he's on this <laughs> like vengeful tear and, you know, the, 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 the metal look about things and, 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 and the tattoos on his arms and just the, the, there are so many like little specific things to be able to get into and like, you know, to talk about, you know, why did you make this choice and what if, if there was any sort of specific motivation behind that little piece of specificity. I think the script is full of that and it makes it, it makes it fun to read. Yeah. I, I, I love the little details. I think it makes, it helps me to get into it and I, I can really picture it. And, and you know, when I, uh, because this is actually a short adapted from the a full, um, feature script. Oh. Um, and, and I, I won a bunch of contests with it and I, I'm like, you know, I'm going to make a short. Maybe I can do something with a short. I, I've even thought about maybe directing it myself and trying to shoot it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, like the tattoos, especially in the mm-hmm. beginning, it, it's it's very symbolic of w- when he's going through things. And the thought was kind of at some places where he's, you know, doing his his deeds he's he it's almost as if like the demons on his arm are alive mm-hmm. or you know reveling in yeah. what he's doing i love that yeah. yeah and listeners just just in case you you know haven't done your homework and you should <laughs> read all the screenplays um our main character asap 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 quarrels yeah. in this uh yeah. short screenplay he has two sleeves, two tattooed sleeves, one demons, uh, symbolic of hell, and the other, a bunch of angels and, like, spiritual light things. Heavenly stuff. Heavenly stuff, mm-hmm. yes. There's probably a picture of me put on there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, probably. <laughs> somewhere. And he's... Which arm is up for debate, honestly? <laughs> <laughs> so, and Aesop is on this sort of mission. He's he's uh, got a woman that is in the car with him. He's driving this green 1969 Oldsmobile and there's a woman in the car with him and it starts off with him driving on this desert road and she's sort of asleep and it flashes back to them hooking up in this diner where she worked and it's the it's 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 rough it's a rough hookup to say the least she she like slaps him in the face or punches him yeah he she says I like it that way hit me back there's a knife involved there's blood involved there's a flashback to to them being kids yeah doing the same thing and so that's sort of where we're as we're building up to the scene that we're going to read to, to you from today where he's driving this car and he comes to the this uh motel it's called the rustic yeah. motel and it, yeah. he's uh checking in and he has an interaction with the guy that's working at the desk named DW and uh, that's going to be the the scene that we're going to read from uh, for you today. I guess we better we might as well read it. Teed it up. Yeah, um, Paul. Is there anything that you want to add to the beginning of this scene before we read it for the listeners? Um, yeah, you know the storyline. It kind of jumps around a little bit um, in the script, but he's he's on this mission of revenge, and um, he's this is kind of his first stop on the on the on the journey and just um, totally unrelated to what happens in the story. But I, the character DW, I named him after my favorite horse on Deadwood. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Deadwood is such a good show. 
yeah, I, I just felt like I had to name a character after him. So that's where that came from. Oh, that's so sweet. See, I thought uh, I thought for sure that you were just a fan of Arthur on PBS and wanted to uh, and do a little <laughs> nod to that show. <laughs> but but DW the horse would never do any of the terrible things that DW. I bet DW yeah. the horse was super sweet. He was. Mm, I like yes. horses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's also. Do we want to talk about his name, Aesop? Uh, we we might as well while we're here. Yeah, Talk I mean about names and stuff. The fact that he, the fact that he's named Aesop Quarrels, maybe as opposed to Aesop Fables, I feel like is a very specific choice. Yeah, you know, originally I was going to play around a little bit more with the the um, the the religious aspect of it, but I I'm not really a very religious person, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to make it about that. It's really um, symbolism for. Uh, his father, who is his ultimate goal in in the revenge, all these other revengers lead to the one man, his father, and uh, and then the the heaven or the angel side is he did for his mother, right? Mm-hmm. Like what and, he's doing um, versus why he's doing it. Yeah, yeah, and and of course, there's you know he he had to go through a lot to get these because he's an albino. Um, that's right. Yeah. Did we, and, did we mention we that, he's, even... that he has albinism? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it was kind of just more, the tattoos were about his journey and what they stood for as far as his mother and his father and what they represented to him. Mm-hmm. Okay. We got a lot to jump into, but let's read this scene and then we'll just, yeah. then we'll just fly forward. Um, okay. So listeners tonight, t- tonight, it might be daytime when they're listening to it. Um, whatever time it is where you are today, we have a special treat because Paul is going to be reading for Aesop. Um, Jack is going to be reading for the, the creepy DW, which, you know, Jack's terrifying. So not typecasting at all. It's fine. (laughs) And then I'm going to be doing all of the action headings. Um, if you're following along, this starts in the middle of screen page three and, um, we're, we can't wait to share with you. So you guys ready? Yeah. Interior motel lobby night. D.W. steps through his office door and watches Aesop emerge from the car. D.W.'s eyes narrow with a glimmer of recognition. He nervously straightens up the front counter. Aesop steps inside, stopping to take in the bizarre room. Well, uh, good evening, sir. I need a room. D.W. looks past Aesop to the car and silhouette of the girl in the front seat. You folks got a reservation? D.W. chokes out a nervous laugh. I'm sure I have a room that'll suit your needs. Will Will the two of y'all be needing that room for the night, or is it just for a couple hours? Now, we can work that out as well. Have you got a room? Aesop looks around, as if this place wouldn't have every room available. Or not. Does a hobby horse have a hickory dick? <laughs> a failed attempt at humor in an awkward situation. D.W. stares at Aesop, his ridiculous smile unable to hide the growing fear within. Well, all right, that's great. That that works just fine. Um, his fingers work the calculator feverishly. Okay, that's going to be $38. Cash money, please. D.W.'s hand hovers over the registry book, pen in hand. Mr. Aesop pulls out cash and tosses it on the counter without answering the question. D.W. greedily snatches up the money and stares back at Aesop with a look of fascination and dread. D.W. hands Aesop his change. I gave you quarters. The bed's got them magic fingers. I think you'll find them to your liking. He drops the coins in Aesop's hand. You two enjoy yourself now. Aesop turns to leave, but D.W.'s curiosity gets the better of common sense. Excuse me, but you wouldn't be Edsel's boy, would you? D.W. scratches his head. He doesn't wait for an answer. The room around here is you run away and was killed in a car wreck when you was 15. I mean, that's why I'm asking. Aesop's intense gaze threatens to unhinge D.W. <laughs> you know how people talk. Cafe still serving? D.W. fidgets. Well, uh, yeah. You and the missus might want to grab a quick bite before you retire for the evening. Best hurry, though. We'll be closing up soon. Aesop throws a glance to the parked car. She's not hungry. Aesop turns and walks into the cafe. D.W. nervously strains his neck to get a better look at the figure in the car. End scene. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay, let's get in here. You say this is part of a bigger screenplay, and this is a a teensy little piece, a short, pulled from it. Yes. 
um, adapted. So where did what is the story about? What is going on here? And and you know why did you write it? Well, you know it's 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 a revenge story, and it's um, it's it's more he's getting revenge not so much for himself, but for his mother who who basically suffered her whole life abuse at the hands of their father for giving birth to him. Mm. And, and through his father and his very unique uh, poker buddies and what he allowed them to do to his mother, which we find through, you know, flashbacks, um, he is, uh, he's seeking revenge. He's got this list of names that he's going to cross off. Yeah. Yeah. He has a list and, and he, uh, he's, he's triggered by the fact that his, his mother, he, he gets a newspaper with his, his from his hometown. His mother is, has committed suicide, but he knows that Mm. she would never do that. Okay. So he thinks she was murdered. Yeah. That's the catalyst. He, he knows that his father did it Mm -hmm. and that kind of sets him on his journey. Mm -hmm. And he wants to make all of them pay, um, before finally, taking on his father, who he's still, you know, pretty terrified of, even as a grown up. And um, so, yeah, it's just kind of his journey. His, it's very twisted tale of, of him getting to where he has to go. Why does he decide to murder everybody? And how did he become such a good murderer <laughs> instead <laughs> of instead of trying to, like, be the kind of character that uncovers the truth and, you know, gets the 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 sheriff involved in that kind of stuff. Well, it's, it's, it's a very small town. You know, it's, 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 it's supposed to be like a backwater town. His father is actually the sheriff of the town. Ooh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's, you know, the story starts, he's already run away. He's been away. He's, he ran away as a child. Now he's a grown man. And, you know, it, He's tried to live his life and just kind of move past all this, but it's that it's the suicide that triggers, you know, what's what he's buried inside. And he I don't know if he's necessarily good at murder, um, but he he gets the job done. (laughs) He feels very comfortable around a scythe. Yeah, he does. Um, And he does uh, in, in the full length screenplay, he does struggle with what he's doing to people. Um, and he, and he doesn't kill anyone who's, who just randomly, he, he's only killing these people that deserve his revenge, but he does suffer, um, for what he's doing. He knows he's someday he's going to have to answer for what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Hence the heaven and hell tattoos. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In the in in this short, he's almost more like sort of a force of nature that he's just doing this thing that must be done, and I like he's got the will to do it, and he's just doing it. Exactly. Yeah. I think he even says that to Candace at one point. He's like, "It's just going to happen. Mm. This is just yeah. happening." Yeah. Uh, so this whole like um, mother and let's say this familial struggle here, this parental struggle is is that anything that you had growing up with your parents where like you didn't like your dad you did love your mom you you know did you go through anything like this no it's funny because i've had people i i had a producer once talk to me about it and he he said could i ask you like what happened to you in your childhood (laughs) and i said nothing i had a great childhood they fostered my imagination yeah yeah, it's just uh, it, it. It's not based in any reality. It just it was just the story. I kind of I kind of came up with the Aesop character first, and the the conversation between the two hillbilly brothers. I love them. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That was the first scene I wrote in the script, mm-hmm. and I kind of because uh, I didn't know where I was going, and I wrote that scene, and then I'm like, okay, then the idea started coming. Mm. Um, Seymour and Rufus, the names of our hillbilly brothers here. Yeah, they were fun. I, I, I maybe should have let them live a little longer because they were fun to work with. <laughs> oh, do they not make it in the? Because uh, in the short, they just sort of come and go. They did in the in the feature oh, right. length. They don't really make it, huh? They they don't they don't make it much much more. They come back the next morning for breakfast because uh, I think Candace tells Aesop that 
you know, they're, they come here morning, noon and night Yeah, mm-hmm. and they come back for breakfast the next morning and they don't, they don't make it. So if they were the first scene you wrote and Aesop was the first character that you came up with, did he just kind of form in your mind? And when was it when you were working on Deadwood that this character started making himself known? Uh, you know, Aesop is kind of something that I toyed around with um, when I would just doing illustrations. I just had this image of a, uh, a tattooed albino hmm. and it, it was just kind of an image in my head. Um, you know, I was probably thinking about it for, for a comic book or something, but I had never formed any kind of story around him. Mm-hmm. And um, so when I decided to write a screenplay, uh, some of the other people on the show, we were talking about it and I told my boss, I said, yeah, I, I, like I'm so inspired by Milch that I, I've, I've got to do this. So we actually set up a, a screenplay, a screenwriting contest between like six of us. And we gave ourselves a time frame to finish. And I think maybe only two of us, myself and one other person, mm. actually finished mm-hmm. writing. And that was the product of that. Mm, that's uh, cool. That's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so this Aesop character, in, in the course of this short, after he shows up at this motel, has this interaction with DW, then he goes over to the cafe and meets this Rufus and Seymour pairing, which are, they're, they're, they're a ton of fun to have to read and listen to their back and forth conversation. And this Candace we've referred to, who is the uh, a waitress in the diner, she's also the daughter of DW, who runs the place. Right. She touches yeah. the heaven side of his tattoo yes. in one place, so she's a good guy. In a yes. very, yeah, in a very specific way. And, you know, from my perspective, and maybe Allison could maybe speak to this a little bit better i the way that you wrote candace and at least it briefly describe her when she first shows up you do, I, I felt like in the script you didn't go out of your way to describe her as you know overly tarted up or overly pretty and sexy you sort of describe that she stands out in terms of how dingy and crappy this hotel and cafe is but i don't think that you oversold the idea that she's this like you know pretty young thing that's walking through and i thought that that was that was sort of refreshing to not have to read a whole description of you know dark blue eyeshadow and red lips and round hips and all that stuff right yeah i try not to keep i I try not to do you know use the cliches and and i don't want to write that she's you know this gorgeous girl right and yeah, so I try not to fall into that trap because I think I think it's too easy to just say to describe a female character and say, you know, pretty, but she doesn't know it. Right. Or, right. You so know. stupid. Every pretty girl knows it. <laughs> yeah, we know. Yeah. <laughs> we just well, want and, you to think we don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there's a lot more to Candace's character right. as well that that we find out later. I actually, that's what I was going to say too, is the way that you have her written. It, it says more about it. It lends more to acting choices Mm -hmm. than looks. And, um, what you actually have is Candace Cutliffe, 21 DW's daughter, blonde, stunningly out of place in this quagmire of inbred and desolate souls, a shining star that defies the logic of her paternal origin. Right. Yeah. She's not a mutant and that's kind of all we really know. Right. And the, and the, the paternal origins is kind of a hint as to yeah. what's to come later mm-hmm. with her her origins because we know DW is her father, but we don't know who her mother was. Mm. Oh, and that and yeah. that doesn't get addressed mm. in the short either. Wow, yeah, there's a lot more to to dig into on this. Is she blonde because she also has albinism? Um, mm. she doesn't. Okay. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Her pitch was getting a little too high there, man. I'm glad you let her down. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how much I should give away here, but I can tell you what the connection is. Yes. I mean, oh, gosh. No, I'd rather – should I read it? Should I read the full length? I know it's on Amazon. Yeah, we'd, we'd love, yeah well, yeah, that's yeah, – just tease it out there to people because we do have – because we'll have the short and people can read the short. And it's just such it. a good story that it's one of those ones that's like, should I dive in? Okay, just tell me. Just tell me. Just tell me, Paul. Okay, I'll I'll tell you because, you know, you mentioned Amazon and and – through a contest it is published um in book form on amazon nice the the frustrating thing about that though is that i feel like um it's changed since then Mm. and i and i feel like it's gotten so much better because i've worked on it Mm -hmm. um but that's another story but um yeah it candace we come to find out is aesop's half sister Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um 
and through his father's, you know, use, using, taking money from his poker buddies to use his wife, she became pregnant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and part of, uh, part of Edsel, his father's terms when, when, uh, she got pregnant was that she could have the baby, but then she would never be able to see it again. Oh man, Edsel sounds like a real piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he, really yeah, he really does. Is. He's a real crumb bum. <laughs> yeah. What's his deal? Yeah, we, Why is he such an asshat? He just is. He, he does uh, that. That doesn't even scratch the surface of the things that he did in mm. the story. And I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that. So most of the flashbacks in this story, um, I wrote them as like really quick and, you know, you don't spend a lot of time with them because there'd be too many of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But but, you get really quick glimpses of of just what a rotten person he was. mm -hmm. Okay. And but then also in terms of the flashback and the people that are on this list that Aesop is going after, we find out at the end of this short that the woman that was riding in the car with him, this waitress at the diner that he's got a connection with going back to when he was a child, he's actually (laughs) killed her and and her her body's just kind of hanging out in his car. Why why is she on the list? She's on the list because uh, when he was a young boy in school, she's the girl that, um, you know, got together with her friends and they all said, oh, you know, um, make him give him your lunch and and kiss him. And then the the boyfriend comes up and beats him up for kissing his girlfriend. And and then he gets harassed by the boyfriend and her in school so bad that uh, they eventually corner him after school one day and stab him. Ugh. Wow. And okay. uh, and so he drops out of school and and she was his but he had a huge crush on her. So she, she was his first crush and she destroyed him. Mm-hmm. And it's it's that's kind of like the only personal payback. There's two personal paybacks that he has. Everything else is revenge for his mother. Mm-hmm. Um but um, I mean, he's a so, tormented yeah, person, you know, he his, yeah. his choices on killing people don't have to make sense because he's bouncing between heaven and hell. You know, he's he's tormented. He has his own demons. Yeah. And he the, the reason he holds on to to Kim for so long in the story is that he he deep down didn't want to kill her. And he he's having a hard time letting her go. Mm hmm. Is, so he doesn't he doesn't want to get rid of her. I know that you said that there's not in terms of like influences, you know, not having a personal connection to, you know, an overly abusive or father or, you know, anything like that. But is there when you're writing this kind of revenge and having to concoct reasons why this guy feels so motivated to kill these people? Is there any feeling of like catharsis or like working something out as you're as you're thinking of, you know, what what the arc is for this guy and the things that he's doing to these people? Uh, you mean for me or for him? Yeah, for you, for you. Yeah. For me. Um, I don't, I don't feel like it. I feel like, um, when I, when I write the, especially this story, um, I just try to put myself in his place and work through it that way Mm -hmm. as opposed to, um, like solve any kind of turmoil in myself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, cause I mean, I don't agree with what he does. Um, in real life, of course, I don't agree with him going out to get revenge. Yeah. Uh, Not yet. But, <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't. Th- I don't think there's a personal connection to any thing that happens in the in the story mm-hmm. yeah i just you know i wasn't sure i mean you you there could still be a sort of sense of you know yeah I, i'm really gonna now that he's got him on this i can there's i, I can see a feeling of because if you're in the audience watching this and you can you know you're you're becoming emotionally invested in this story if it produced into a film and you know at some point yeah you're going to start cheering on this guy because he's supposed to be the main character and in theory you know you're sort of rooting for the hero and he's going after bad people and there's mm-hmm. a sense of you know twisted justice and revenge that that goes along with that yeah yeah i think so and i and i and I wanted him to struggle with, with the terrible things he was doing. Um, I wanted him to struggle with it too, just to make him human. Because otherwise, if he's just going around killing everyone, no one's going to really 
give a crap about the guy. Yeah. Right. Um, so I wanted him to struggle with it, but at the same same time, he feels like it's something he has to. It's not really a choice; he has to do this. Yeah, there's a line you have that says it's after it's revealed that Kim's throat is slit. The line is mm-hmm. he's in the truck, and it says ASAP turns the radio up loud, heavy pounding metal to drive. It might be your band actually from the eighties. <laughs> yeah, <then>. right. <laughs> heavy pounding metal to drive the demons out of his head or feed them. Yeah, you know he's he's in yeah. that. He's in purgatory here. Yeah, he, he's definitely a tortured soul, mm-hmm. and uh, he doesn't really know which way to go. And I think he feels like the only release he has from these demons inside him is to ultimately kill his father. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That for him, that's the only way he gets release. Did mm-hmm. you did you watch uh, the 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 show on Netflix, uh, Daredevil? Yes. The the one of it, it's making me think of the idea that you know he's doing this stuff and he does have you know some feelings of anguish and stuff over it and one of the things it, it made me think of the dynamic in Daredevil between Matt Murdock's character and Wilson Fisk where Matt is putting on this suit and going out and beating up bad guys every night and he he he's a good Catholic but he likes doing this thing to bad people whereas the villain in the show at times also gets violent and does awful things to people and he he actually abhors the fact that he. He's doing it. I think that uh, Vincent D'Onofrio did a great job of selling the fact that even though he's this bad guy, he doesn't. He genuinely doesn't like doing bad things to people. It's just a means to an end. And reading your right. script, it sort of made me think of that sort of dynamic about having anguish over what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it's it's very similar. Um, he, he's got a lot of anguish, and he but he, and he doesn't necessarily. I don't know if he doesn't like what he's doing, but he. Uh, because he wants the revenge so he he is struggling with that that need for the revenge and to kind of make them suffer for what they did and because ultimately his mother was the only woman who's ever loved him mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so he needs to get revenge for that but he's also torn because he knows he's doing these terrible things as the story plays out in, in the in the full in the full version of it, assuming that he does and exact all of the, of the revenge that he wants to, does it get to a point at the end where once he's accomplished all this stuff, that he you know you you become so defined by this thing you're doing, especially by this, and you know that sort of anger really eats a person up inside. Does he is he left feeling like oh wow good now I'm free, or is it more of like now what do I do because I've let this thing drive me for so long? Yeah, it's sort of a combination of both. He he needs the release, um, and he also gets help. Um, I, I don't know how much to ever give away, but he gets help from from his half sister. Oh, sure, that makes Can, sense. from Kansas, yeah. uh, Candace in the end, because Candace through her journey, she's finding out her history because she doesn't know who her mother is. Mm-hmm. And she, while she's going through the story, she finds out that uh, about Aesop's tortured past and about what um, Edsel did to their mother or to Aesop's mother. And then after all that, she finds out that that was also her mother. Mm-hmm. So she's discovering this. She's on this journey too of finding out that, who her mother was and that now she'll never know her mother and that her mother suffered through her whole life. Um, partly because of her, you know, mostly yeah. because of Aesop, but it was also part of her because Edsel was not happy that she had a baby through, through DW. Mm. Paul, do you have feelings so, about how, you know, how much a, a past can define a person is any, you know, personal feelings of that in there in that, that made it into the story? Um, I mean, for him, you know, the, the other characters, a lot of these, the people, the victims, these guys, they don't really feel, they don't really feel like they necessarily did anything wrong. Um, which makes sense because they're kind of on the same, they're friends with Ed, Ed, Ed Solson and he's a terrible person. So these guys are not upstanding citizens. Yeah. Um, uh, I do think, I do think partly that, that, uh, that, you know, your past definitely defines you. I think, um, for characters like this, um, I mean, Edsel's in this story, Edsel's been rotten since day one. Mm-hmm. Um, he's born that way. 
Yeah, maybe it's Maybelline. Just, there's, no, <laughs> there's nothing redeemable about him. He was never going to change. And even when he's faced with his son there to kill him, you know, he really doesn't even believe his son has it in him to do it. Yes. Yeah. He's only known him as this kid that he could beat up and was helpless. Yeah. Well, guess what? Kids grow up. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. DW. Mm-hmm. So it's really not until the final moment of the script that DW finally realizes that he does have the strength to do what he says he's going to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What what kind of yeah. music were you listening to when you wrote this? Because all because in in reading this and talking to you about it, I've got so much White Zombie and Rob Zombie just blaring in my head right now. Yeah, I listened to a lot of heavy stuff when I wrote it. Yeah, that, I guess it would. Yeah. If you wrote this during the Deadwood time, that would have been like fifteen years ago. You think? Um, the first draft. Wow, has it been that long? It was probably close to that. You know, I wrote the first draft of this, and which. You know, if I read it now, it's, it's, I'd say it's terrible. Um, and and I kind of let it sit, and I wrote some other stuff, and I didn't come back to it for a number of years, and because I didn't really know what I was doing either. So I, I said, oh, I should enter this into some contests, and and I did, and nothing happened with it. So again, I just kind of dropped it, and then I, you know, but it was always nagging in my mind. I said, you know, I believe that there's something there. And so I went back to it and I kind of did a big rewrite and I started sending it out and, and I started getting in some contests and then, um, I had, I had some feedback on it and I, I talked to a producer and he, he gave me some really great advice and I went back and did another rewrite and the next contest that I entered, I won. Yeah. Mm, cool. Heck yeah. So and and it's been um i mean i've won i've won like four contests with it i've been in the finals in probably five or six and um uh, so i've had a lot of success as far as contests um and i i just things are just kind of starting to get rolling lately i i just signed a a shopping deal with a a production company uh, I sold an option on a, an, a very early script that I wrote with a friend of mine. Yeah, so I feel like things are, are starting to kind of pick up speed with, with, with Ink and Blood. Yeah. Ooh, that's cool. Yeah. Well, so you just feel very hopeful that there's some production coming down the line for this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I would love that. I bet, you know, you just sound like a resourceful person with a lot of really – um, great experiences in the industry. And I would love to see what comes out of this amazing script with the specificity you have with this journey that this main character is going through with all of the nuance here. I, I, I would love to see it. I think it could be really, really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would love it. I, I would, um, you know, I don't, I would love to direct it, especially if I, if I can shoot the short by myself, um, because I have such a clear vision of what I what it looks like and what I want to see in it. Well, and geez, um, and, and the short could work so well as such a good proof of concept. Even just a couple scenes from right. it would be a great way to try to get stuff out there in front of people. I think. Yeah, exactly. Especially yeah. how it ends with that list. Yeah. There's like much. There's a lot more to come, but there's also a lot that's already happened. Yeah. And that's such a good teaser. Yeah. Mm, that's great. Yeah, I I always say it's I kind of. Compare if I had to compare it, I usually compare it to a combination of like Kill Bill and Fargo. Oh, yeah, there's a, there's a Tarantino influence there for sure. Which how could how could cool. there not be? Yeah, that's cool. In Fargo, too. yeah, I think yeah. I'm I'm hugely influenced by Tarantino and the Coen Brothers. Yeah, um, like anything I can I can watch by them, I'll, I'll watch. I just I love their work. Mm, that's awesome. Well, if somebody is interested in getting in touch with you about this script and making it come to fruition in yeah. terms of screen life, or if they'd like to mm-hmm. talk to you about any of your other work, what's the best way for somebody to get in touch with you? Uh, probably the best way, I'd say Twitter. Um, my Twitter is at Cam Corey, um, C-A-M-C-O-R-R-I. Okay. And um, I have, let's see, my best email for me is uh, mywritersroom mm-hmm. at, at yahoo.com. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. And I also have a website, mywritersroom.com. Great. My That's a good URL. Yeah, I'm surprised I got it. Yeah, good for you. Well, yeah. Paul, listen, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for sending us your work. Really, it, it, it's a ton of fun to read. We've been on a little bit of a streak of scary stuff and getting into something that's a little more like actiony and violent. Uh, it, it's a nice change of pace. I appreciate Super fun. it. Yeah. Oh, great. I, I had a great time, and I thank you guys for uh, taking the time to to read my screenplay. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Paul, very much. Great. Thank you, guys. All right. That's Paul. That was amazing. That's fun. I really do. What was that movie that we were talking about, the hotel one? Bad Times at the El Royale. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. First which all, which is a huge love letter to Tarantino. Yeah. That movie is incredible. And then this one, I think in terms of like specificity mm-hmm. and nuance, really evokes a lot of that film for me, at least how I picture it in my head as I'm reading. Absolutely. Yeah. The conversations that those two weirdo characters have that we keep telling you about Rufus and Seymour in the diner, so you should good. go and read the script if for no other reason to read that exchange between the two of them, because it is so quirky and weird and specific and it's just Doofusy. fun to know. Yeah. yeah. It's, these are, these are interesting. You're like, wow, those are kind of cool characters in the same way that like for years, anybody that saw anybody random in the background of a star Wars movie at some point got their own comic book or novel adaptation mm-hmm. or, you know, song or whatever. Yeah. And I like two worlds where like, you know, maybe the journey is very laden and heavy and mm-hmm. it's very serious. But as you go through it, there are these quirky people that exist. There is Kim, who's like a very unique woman in the briefly in yeah. the story. There's Candace, who's this angel figure floating around here. You know, you've got creepy DW, then you've got the dad. There's like just bouncy nuance all over the place. Yeah. And the whole world is a lot more colorful because of it, because it's not in this one tone and this one really heavy vein. It's bouncy and yeah. it makes the story just live more fully and kind of fly with all the variety in it. Yeah, it's a bloody palette, but it's still a colorful palette. Yeah. There's some green, there's some yellow. Yeah. There's a lot of blood. <laughs> there's a lot of red. It's fine. Maroon, purple, it's all good. <laughs> uh, if you've written things that are rainbow related, uh, and hey, this is probably going to come out during Pride Month still, right? With the, did we just miss it in terms Let's of the see. release? This one I think we're just going to miss it. This is going to be July 3rd. All right, so my rainbow metaphor. An, an homage. Connection there isn't really going to fly. But if you have written something that's full of color or personality or whatever. Bouncy uh, characters. And you've written it in script form, you should send it to us. And you can do that by going on to scriptshopshow.com slash submit. And don't forget to check us out on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where you could get in touch with Paul Coricelli himself, because we'll be doing some promos about him and sharing some stuff all about him as we're promoting the show. Yeah. Uh, we'd love it. And please check us out, scriptshopshow.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Connect with us. Uh, Patreon. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes if that's your modus operandi. Yeah, we'll maybe, take it. You know what? We should start reading reviews. That would be fun. <laughs> no, I don't know if I... Mm, I think it would be fun. Uh, all right. We'll have to talk Leave about us a that. review. We're going to start reading them. <laughs> it is decided. <laughs> it has been decreed. Great. Now it shall be done. Oh, good. And until next week, friends, that's a wrap. Script Shop was created by Allison West. Hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley. Produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.